0: All right, if you've got a Bible, we will be uh, primarily camping out in the book of Genesis today. Uh, and so if you're looking for a page number on that, it's literally page two. So you can find that in your Bibles. I hope all you guys survived the mini flood. You're here, so I guess you did. Uh, that's the third time since I've lived here that Mill Creek has jumped out of its bank. So I'm glad that you guys are all good and dry. But since it rained yesterday and all the soccer games and all that sort of stuff were canceled, uh, Sarah and I went to work painting uh, our house this is something that we've been doing a little bit at a time ever since we moved in last June, just painting a little bit here and there. Because when we, when we moved in, there were some rooms in this house, even though the house has been around, it was built like 10 years ago, um, A lot of, most of the house, in fact, most of the house still had just the builder's primer paint on the walls. It, it, so the builder put that on, but the, the previous owner had never come in and completed you know, painting the house. It just had the builder's primers paint. And then there were a few other rooms like uh, Kira and Claire's rooms, and they were, they were pretty good. Um, they just needed a little bit of touch-up here or there. Then you had other rooms like mine and Sarah's rooms, which were pretty terrible. Um, I just don't go for psychedelic artists formerly known as Prince Purple in my bedroom. It just doesn't work for me. So we had to prime that thing and start over in there. But when it comes to our understanding of marriage what God has designed for His glory and for our good, we all are a lot like some of those rooms in my house. Some of us have a basic idea, right? We've got the primers paint on the wall. We started with that. And maybe we've been married for decades now, but that's kind of still where we're at. We just have a, the, the primers paint. Never was completed. Never got a full picture of what God's trying to do in our marriage. Some of us are doing okay. We like Kira and Claire's room. It's pretty good, but over the years there's been some nicks and there's been some marks put on the wall, and so we could use a little bit of touch-up paint. Others of us, m- maybe even not even through any fault of our own, um, kind of like mine and Sarah's room. You know, we just kind of inherited that. Some of us may have pretty ugly or distorted understandings of of marriage that maybe you inherited, maybe from your parents, even if their marriage wasn't a train wreck, just some bad habits that you inherited and because that's all you ever saw, you've kind of inherited that and think that's normative when, when it's not. Or maybe it's from a previous relationship. You've, you've inherited some stuff or just from culture. And so by nature, we just bring all of this with us into our marriage. And so maybe for some of us, this series needs to be kind of priming over our previous notions of marriage and painting afresh with God's color for your room. A little Letting him do a little fixer-upper. And then others of us uh, aren't married. And so some of us might be in the future. And some of us might not be in the future. Some of us have been and aren't any longer. But regardless, it's important that we get good paint on the walls so that if it is God's will for us to be married in the future, we'll be ready for that. And if it's not God's plan for us, we still might walk alongside our brothers and sisters, encouraging them and helping them to show the beauty of the Gospel as it relates to marriage, even as they help us show the beauty of the Gospel as it relates to singleness. Because I, and I want everybody to look right at me for just a second. Because when we talk about the beauty of marriage and the beauty of singleness, they, they are two sides of the same coin. There's a beauty to marriage and there's a beauty to singleness and they are two sides of the same coin. One's not better than the other. One's not more normative than the other. They are two distinct sides of the same coin. I love the way Sam Alberry explained it. He says, in marriage, we reflect the shape of the Gospel. Okay. In marriage, we reflect the shape of the Gospel in the promises that we make to one another Reflecting the promises and the marital bond between Christ and the church. And so this is Ephesians 5 language. We're going to deal with that a little bit today, but much more extensively next week. So in marriage, we reflect the shape of the gospel. In singleness, we show the sufficiency of the gospel. Because we show that actually the one marriage that we cannot live without is the marriage that we have in Christ. And therefore, we can forego human marriage because we anticipate the reality in which human marriage will ultimately one day find its culmination. And so in marriage, we reflect the shape of the gospel. In singleness, we show the sufficiency of the gospel. All right, both two sides of the same coin showing off the gospel. And so I'm not sure which room you might find yourself in in our metaphorical house. If you you are in the room where there's primers paint, if you're the room where it's pretty good, but maybe a little bit of touch-up is needed, if you're in the room where it's pretty terrible and we need to prime over some stuff first, or if you've got a brand new fresh wall, and we can start with good paint from the get-go. All right, wherever you're at in all that, it's my hope and it's my prayer that these next five weeks will be extremely practical and helpful for you as it relates to marriage. But one of the things that I've found in almost 10 years of ministry now is that everyone just wants to jump straight to the practical side of things and just tell me what to do and tell me you know, what not to do but God is interested in so much more all right he he wants so much more out of our marriage than just fighting less making love more and parenting better all right now he's all about those three things but he that marriage is a whole lot more, he's interested in a whole lot more than those things. Because those things really, if we, if we miss the purpose and the meaning of marriage, those things really don't amount, don't, don't matter, jack squat. If we miss the purpose and the meaning of marriage, I mean, if we build on a faulty foundation, I don't care how many communication tips that you acquire. Your marriage is still not going to be all that God desires for it to be because you've built on a faulty foundation. So this morning, we're going to try to lay that foundation and understand that marriage is a whole lot more than just what we commonly think of. And so specifically, I want to show you the design of marriage. right? Who designed it? And and what He designed? And then I want to show you what marriage is to display, all right? What it's to picture. And I want to hopefully through this help bring our eyes up a little bit from a me-focused, narcissistic, meet my needs, it's all about me, marriage. All right? And it's a contract. I'll love you if you love me. I'll be good to you if you be good to me. I'll be nice to you if you're nice to me. And if you're not nice to me, then I won't be nice to you and I won't be kind to you. No, 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 no pull our eyes up out of that and show the design and display of marriage that it is so much higher, that it is so much weightier, and it's such, so much more meaningful and beautiful. And so design and display. And so I've kind of condensed the notes. I just gave you a blank place. I'm going to give you a sentence. And then we're going to go to work on this sentence throughout the rest of the time. So here's the sentence, alright? Marriage was designed by God not solely, but ultimately to display His glory in the gospel. All right, Marriage was designed by God, not solely, but ultimately to display His glory in the gospel. That's its ultimate purpose. To display the glory of God in the gospel. To draw a picture of who God is. That's what your marriage does. The question is, does it draw a good picture or a bad picture? Right? An accurate picture of Christ and the church or an errant picture of Christ and the church? That, that's why marriage is such a big deal. It paints a picture. It says something about God. It's not just a social you know, construct. It says something about God. God doesn't exist to make much of you and to make your marriage glorious. You exist and your marriage exists if you're married to make much of God and show Him to be glorious. And when we get that backwards, it's a crumbly, wobbly foundation. And so marriage was designed by God, not solely, but ultimately to display God's glory in the Gospel. And so design, display, let's break that statement down. And so we'll begin with the first part of that. All right. Number one marriage was designed by God. First half of that sentence marriage was designed by God. And so, Luke, we've been in it for so long, it's just natural. Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, page 2, okay? Chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So, so John read a little bit out of chapter 1. Chapter 1 like the overview. And then chapter 2 is kind of like a commentary on uh, the sixth day of creation in chapter 1. All right, So here we go, a little commentary. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So that's the one rule that God gave to mankind. They broke it, fall, sin entered the world. And then God's been restoring, uh, redeeming and restoring since then. So that's the big story. We talked a lot about that last week. or Yeah, last Sunday. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, notice who said that it wasn't good for man to be alone? God, all right? He determined that, all right? He's the one who determined that man needed a helper. So, it was whose idea? You can talk Sunday school time. Yeah, you, if in doubt, just say Jesus or God and then we'll be good. All right. God did. This is His idea. And so, even before we you know, get past page 2 in the Bible, we are beginning to see the shape of marriage laid out that, that marriage is God's idea. That it's His doing. He created it. This is before sin ever entered the world. This is His pre-fall. Good design. Good idea. It's His Deal. It's his. He's creator. He's sovereign. He's designer. Marriage is his. And so it's not up for debate or redefinition based upon the cultural winds of whatever time that we live in. I mean, just imagine the chaos of a world where definitions were up for grabs with no real meaning. It would be like living in a world of, I don't know, fake news and alternative facts. No real meaning. Make things mean what we want them to. Constantly redefine things. But there's no fake news. There's no alternative facts. There's no redefinition with God's laid out definition of marriage. Now that doesn't mean that those that, that we don't love and pour ourselves out for those we might disagree with on this. But it does not mean we disagree, right? Civilly and Christianly, but we disagree because it's God's deal. It's, it's not ours. It's His. He created it. It's His. Right? He designed it. And He delights in it. And it paints a picture, and we'll get going on that. But I want you to just keep rolling out how He created this and what happens in the very first marriage that we see in Scripture. Because what we're going to see next is we're going to see um, God both officiate the very first wedding, all right, while also being the first father to give away the bride. And so like this is going to be possibly what I do someday. right? Walk, maybe even in this room. Walk my daughters down this aisle, pause the marriage for about fifteen minutes so I can compose myself, and then turn around and maybe officiate, all right, the wedding ceremony. So maybe that's what I'm gonna do, but that's what God does right here in Genesis two. He makes man, he realizes that man is helpless and needs a wife. And so John read earlier verse 22. The Lord God, Verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its flesh. 22, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so he, this, is, this is what... This is what daddies do. Daddies create, create, all right? They help create and play a small part in that. That's in five weeks from now. We'll talk about that. But create and then like walk their daughter down the aisle and give her to a husband. That's what God does here. He's the first father. He brings Eve, all right? Verse 22, um, and brought her to the man. And so he brings her to the man. He gives Eve to Adam in holy matrimony. The father gives away the bride. And so then, after Adam picks up his jaw off the floor, all right, that's why this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my, she's what we called woman because she was taken out of man, all right. He's, he's astounded, okay, because like for, for Adam, I mean, for me, I remember when I first saw Sarah the day that we got married. We got married in Estes Park, Colorado, at a small little Episcopal church. Red carpet, uh, log walls, through the back windows you could see the Rocky Mountains. Um, And so there I am like on the floor in this position, those doors fling open. I see her for the first time. She's got on white gloves. She's got on a sleeveless dress. She's got her hair up in something. I don't know what you call it, but it was awesome. She walks down the aisle. I get the chin quiver going, you know. I keep it together. But I'm just overwhelmed at that. Men who are married, think about that moment for you. Just overwhelmed at that, at that moment and that emotion at, at the beauty of, of who she is. Yes, on the outside, but even more who I know, like her heart, I know her heart. And that's Adam here. But for Adam, I mean, he's never even seen Eve. This is his first time. So he is, he is absolutely overwhelmed. This is his first time to ever even see her. And God's walking her down the aisle and giving her to him just like a dad does. And so after Adam's jaw gets up off the floor, God turns from the position of dad to the position of pastor And he officiates the first ever wedding and here's what he says. Verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not Ashamed. And so verse 24, this is this is God's wedding sermon. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall, be become, and they shall become one flesh. And so this is God's wedding ceremony and it's his preliminary definition of marriage. Okay, he said that a man leaves his mom and dad. Now we're gonna deal a little more extensively with this next week, but just real quick, just because you don't live with your mom and dad does not mean you've left mom and dad. And just because your kid who might, who's married has moved out doesn't mean you've let them leave you. Some of us have control issues and we need to let our kids go. And some of us have mama issues or daddy issues that we need to deal with. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week, but just peppering that in for now. And so God says that a man shall leave his mother and his father and hold fast to his... Give me that word. Wife. It wasn't Jesus this time. I mean, we should hold fast to Jesus, but... Wife. God gave Adam a wife. He didn't give him a Chesapeake lab. And He didn't give him another man. And He didn't give him lots of ladies. He gave Adam a wife. Okay, this is God's design. Marriage is His deal. It's His doing. He has created all things. Creator has the ability to state what His creation is and how it should function. He designs it. This is His design. And if you're in here and you're struggling with SSA, same-sex attraction, Providence is a safe place for you to struggle with that. We love you. We're for you just as our Lord is. And we don't view your struggle as some sort of unacceptable sin, all right? And then all of these other. Uh, forms of sexual sin pornography and uh, lusting after people and divorce and affairs and on and on and on. All right. This one's an unacceptable sexual sin. And this one over here are acceptable forms of sexual sin. No, 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 no. They're all the same thing. All part of the same thing. They're all outside of God's design. They are all Sexual sin that we should abstain from, First Corinthians six, but we're not one's unacceptable and the other. No, 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 no. They're all unacceptable, all right, before God. And so we're not pigeonholing one thing against the other. We're saying God has a good design. Good design. And everything outside of that, not just a few, everything outside of that is outside of that. And so it is a safe place to be here. Because the cross of Jesus Christ is big enough to cover all sexual sin. All of it. There are no prerequisites to the Gospel. It's just faith and repentance in what Jesus has done, not what we do. What He has done for us. Perfect life, because we have not Substitutionary debt that we owe. He did it. And then his resurrection and victory over all things. All right? So, this is a safe place to be. But we need to be clear on something like when we talk about sexual sin, sex in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's not a sinful thing. God created it, it's a glorious thing. Okay? It's a glorious thing within the right parameters. Outside of those parameters, it's kind of like dynamite, it can blow your hand off. And there's consequences to it. But inside the right parameters, within the right boundaries, it is a glorious thing. Like literally, it brings glory to God. Look at verse 24 again. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Okay, become one flesh. This is literal and figurative. All right, literal. You can figure that out. And we're going to talk specifically about that May the 21st. All right? This is pre fall. This is how God created the world to be. He created male and female anatomy so that it works, and He created this. And He wants us to bind ourselves together. All right? Become one flesh. So there's. I mean, God created sex. Like We've got to understand that. And He did so for pre- procreation, yes, but also for pleasure. And he gives good gifts. Alright? That's a good gift He gave. And while we're at it, talking about good gifts, just real quick, you need to understand that your spouse is a good gift to you. Your spouse is a good gift to you. I know... You know, Some of us in here may have some things that we need to work on and you need to work on those, but your spouse is not your enemy. There is an enemy and he wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to drive a wedge. He wants to do anything he can, but your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse is a gift. A good gift. You need to receive them that way. You need to treat them that way. God gave them to you. We're kind of getting back to the ranch here. There's a literal sense, and then there's a figurative sense of this one flesh. And the figurative sense is that there's no longer, when you get married, there's no longer me. There's only us. Alright? There's no longer two people. There's one. That doesn't mean you lose your individual identities, but you don't think just about yourself. You, you think us. There's not two. There's one. You've been made One. That's the figurative sense here. And God is the one who makes you one. And so, uh, you don't have to turn there because I didn't look the page number up. But Mark chapter 10, verse 7 says this. Therefore, he's quoting, this is Jesus quoting straight from Genesis 2.24, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then Jesus adds, what therefore God has joined together. Let not man separate. And so it's God who does this. It's God who makes this one flesh union. He's the main actor here. right? In a wedding, the main actor is not the procession. It's not the pastor. It's not the groom. It's not even the bride. The main actor is God. And God is the one that joins man and woman, all right, into a figurative one flesh relationship. Mark 10, verse 9, again, what therefore God has joined together. Let not man separate. God knit the two of you together into one in a covenant. All right, again, God did this. All of this is his idea. He gave away the first bride. He officiated the first wedding ceremony. All right. He's the one that joins two into one. It's his deal. It's not ours. It's not socially constructed. And so the biblical definition of marriage, straight out of Genesis 1 and 2, hitting on a few texts that we'll get to next week. We haven't even read yet. Well, we've read them, but we haven't dived into them a little bit. All right. Here's a long definition I want to give to you. Pre-fall before sin ever entered the world and jacked things up. God's design is a monogamous, heterosexual, covenant relationship between one man and one woman for life, where they're being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it and having dominion over it. This is the cultural mandate John read will. Again, deal a little more extensively next week. Flourishing in their God given roles of headship for the man and helpmate for the woman. All right, that that's God's design. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. All right, now, if you're freaking out right now because I just talked about headship and helpmate, and when you're just thinking, oh, he just went there. What kind of crazy chauvinistic church have I walked into this morning? Breathe. God is not sexist or totalitarian. Right? He's not, he also is not gender leveling and unisex as it relates to the roles in marriage. And we're going to be breaking all of this down in the weeks to come, making our way through it And so be here. All right. For the next five weeks, it's going to build. It's going to build each week one on top of another. And so let let me just give you the calendar for the next several weeks. All right. Today, purpose and meaning of marriage. All right. Next week, April 30th, we're going to talk more about leaving and cleaving and we'll get into roles and we'll talk about in-laws a little bit, outlaws for some of you. But we'll talk in-laws a little bit and then we'll Talk a little bit more about God's design, all right, the role for a wife, the role for a husband, and how those two things are to complement one another like a good team. All right, that's next week, May 7th, family life. We're going to be talking about parenting, spiritual discipleship. May 14th, communication and conflict. So it'll be Happy Mother's Day. Let's talk about conflict. <laughs> it may be fitting, I don't know. communication and conflict on May the 14th and then May the 21st, we'll talk about the importance of friendship and we'll talk about the importance of sex in a marital relationship. All right. And on that one, we may give you an opportunity if, for older elementary. If you want, we'll make a provision for them to be in the big room if you want to do that. And so we're going to be unpacking all of this. But again, God's design is monogamous, heterosexual, covenant relationship between one man and one woman for life, where they're being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it and having dominion over it, flourishing in their God-given roles of headship for the man and help make for the woman. All right, that's the biblical definition. And in all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, outside of a few spots, you see the exact opposite of that. You see polygamy. You see homosexuality, you see adultery, you see confusion over gender roles, you see abusive, overbearing tyrants of husbands, and then you see panty waist weaklings, just completely passive, need to get the pants back in a relationship type of husband's And so when folks come in saying sometimes, well, if if that's God's design, then why did Jacob have two wives, wives, really four wives, and why did Solomon have 700 wives? The answer is because they disobeyed God. They were sinning. And it it doesn't go good for them. Look Look through the Old Testament. Every time they get into polygamy, it goes bad. It's not God's design. Never was, never will be. One man, one woman for life. But even when God's design here and what is best, even when that's missed, all right, when the ideal is lacking, because for some of you it is, You want what God says as it relates to marriage, but you have a spouse maybe who doesn't. You have a spouse who is not a Christian. You have a spouse who has run off. They've left you. They've walked out on you. And so even where God's ideal is lacking, grace abounds for you from our loving Savior. It abounds. His grace is lavished upon His people. He doesn't give drops. He gives waterfalls. It abounds for you. And for the believer, Christ steps into the mess of our lives and He doesn't always immediately calm the storm, but He climbs in the boat with us. And so wherever you're at in this, Jesus is in the boat with you. He doesn't leave. He doesn't forsake. Ever. Ever. But marriage is his deal, all right? And we need to respect it as such. We need to realize that his commands in it are not to rob us of joy, it's not to keep us from things. That's not how he works. He doesn't want to see us struggle and just laugh. Ha ha, you can't have that, but you want it. That's not how he works. He works to design to lead us into joy. Just like any parent does. You set up a couple of rules with your kids because you don't want to see them get run over on the road. You don't want to see them just get their, their life trapped and just, you know, straight up truck. So you say, hey, don't do this. Don't do this. Because you want joy for them. You want good for them. That's what God's done for us in His Word. He wants good. He wants joy. And He's seeking to leave us into it. The question is, do we trust Him? And do we trust Him? If you'll trust Him with your eternal salvation, why will you not trust Him in this smaller things of life? Alright, so marriage was God's design. Alright, and here we go, part two, and it'll be a lot faster, promise. Marriage was designed by God, not solely, but ultimately, and here's part two, to display His glory in the Gospel. Okay, to display, Play his glory in the gospel, not solely, but ultimately this is what it's for. I mean, marriage fulfills a gazillion uh, purposes, right? Sarah and I will have been married 15 years this coming August. And part of our marriage is absolutely for, you know, having and raising children, companionship and happiness. All right. For friendship, for love, and for romance, and for sexual fulfillment, and just enjoyment, and that we will be there for one another come hell or Mill Creek High Water, we will be there. But God's ultimate purpose, higher than that, is to display His glory in the gospel, is to show a picture. Okay, a picture of his good news, of his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And marriage was designed by God to display this in a way that other parts of creation can't. And so flip over to Ephesians chapter 5 real quick, page 978. We're going to connect Genesis 2.24 with the last part of Ephesians 5. We'll deal with verses 20 through 32 uh, pretty extensively next week, but today just verses 31 and 32. Page 978, verse 31 and verse 32. The Apostle Paul is writing here. He says, Therefore... All right, Are you catching how often Genesis 2.24 is peppered throughout the Scriptures? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so what Paul has just said is this verse that we've been camped out on all morning, Genesis 2.24, all right? Paul has just said that, that that marriage is patterned after Christ's covenant commitment to his church. Like, that's what your marriage is both uh, based upon, all right, Christ's love for the church, and created to display Christ's love for the church. All right, so your marriage is to show Christ's covenant commitment to his church, that he never quits. That He never walks out. That He never stops loving. That He never stops forgiving. That He will fulfill every single one of His vows. And so you look throughout the New Testament and Jesus is repeatedly spoken of, think about it, as the bridegroom. Coming for His bride. The true people of God. So you've got uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Paul says that he feels a divine jealousy For the Corinthians church, since he betrothed them to one husband to present them as a pure virgin to Christ. And you've got Christ himself who pays the dowry of his own blood to redeem his bride. And he called it, we talk about marriage being a covenant. Jesus called this payment he made the new covenant. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Luke 22, 20. And so this is what Paul is referring to when he says marriage is a great mystery. Verse 32, he's saying, I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So Christ has obtained the church by His own blood and He's formed a new covenant with her, an unbreakable marriage. This is what our marriages are pointing to. It's not just like how we live and what we do. We are drawing a picture. We're drawing a picture. Christ returns someday and everything's been made right. Revelation 19, Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so our earthly marriages are to draw a picture of God's eternal marriage with His people. This is what it's about. It's so much bigger than just our little... you know. Be happy, you know, go lucky. You know, you're you're drawing a picture. We're drawing a picture. And so, if we treat our marriages as no big deal, what does that say about Christ's love for the church? Does Christ treat the church like it's no big deal? If we're constantly running our spouse down in front of others, what kind of picture are we drawing about Christ and His church? Does Christ do that with us? No. He has grace. He has mercy. If we treat our marriages or our spouses as just the old ball and chain necessary evil i got to deal with, what is that saying about Christ and the church? If you're addicted to porn... and committing adultery in your heart, lusting after people, or actually commit adultery. Like an actual affair. Yeah, yeah, there's a heavy price tag attached to that practically, but what kind of theological statement are you making about Christ and the church? Would He cheat on the church? It's a marring of the image of Christ in the church divorce it's tragic and it's a heart-wrenching thing and yes there's a couple there's two specifics in scripture where it's permissible adultery and abandonment not not like that happened so do it no no, no it's permissible big difference But if our marriages are first and foremost a theological statement about God, then think about the rampant, frivolous, no-fault divorce culture outside the church and inside the church. Right? What is that saying about God? What kind of picture is that drawing about God? Would Christ ever leave His church? Would Christ ever break His covenant? Never. Never. Now on our side, there may be times of like painful backsliding and we are faithless to Him, but He will stay faithful to us. He keeps His covenant forever and we are to image that. This is what marriage does. And so again, earthly marriages are to draw a picture of the eternal marriage Christ has with the church, with His people. That's why it's such a big deal and we don't monkey with it. It's His deal. He created it. It points to His good news. And it points to His grace. That he would never leave us. That His grace knows no bounds. That He's paid a dowry for us. That He's laid down our life for us. That he sought us and He's bought us with His redeeming blood. He's done these things for us and into our brokenness, even when it's not the ideal, He steps in with His grace and, and He steps in and He goes to work with mercy and grace in our lives. And part of his care and his concern comes through the church that surrounds you and loves you and pushes you. And so you let them into that. All right? Let them in and don't lose heart in that. I mean, some of the stories that I hear of ministry and care coming out of some of our groups. As they're contending for the marriages of those within their group and they're pouring themselves out and they're seeking to lead and they're seeking to love and they're holding accountable and they're pushing one another and they're loving one another. And this makes my heart glad. Not because uh, the issues, but because of the way we're seeking to minister. That makes my heart glad because the reality is issues pop up. Conflict comes. Difficulty comes. Don't be ashamed of that. We live in a fallen world. It's going to come. Drag that darkness into the light and as a community, go to work on it. It's nothing to be ashamed of. But it is something that we either need to get some touch-up paint for or some primer paint. Start over with that. Or just start off with some good paint to begin with. Because marriage is a whole lot more than fighting less, making love more, and parenting better. You draw a picture. So let's try, and let's strive, to draw a beautiful picture. Because Christ's love for the church is beautiful. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would help us in here to contend for our marriages if we're married. I pray that You would help us to view our spouse as a gift. Not an enemy. Regardless of the particularities and the circumstances that we find ourselves in right now, that we would understand they're not the enemy. There is one, but they are not the enemy. Help us. Our hearts are fickle and our hearts betray us and our emotions betray us. And we are quick to believe our emotions. We're quick to believe our feelings and let those be our God and our guide. And we're slow to believe you and trust your word and let that be our God. and like Let you be our God and tell us what to do through your word as our guide. So help us, God. Help us. Father, I pray for those who uh, need primer. I pray for those who need touch-up. I pray for those who got some basics, but it was never completed. I pray for those, Lord, who are not married and will be someday and those who are not married and won't be someday. Those who uh, are not married, but were at some point. Let us see that marriage is yours. It's your design. And it's a lot bigger of a deal than we often take it to be. Over these next five weeks, change us and help us to draw this picture for your glory. But it's not solely for that. It's also for our good and our joy. And so may you make that true in our lives over these next five weeks. In the name of Christ, we ask it. Amen.